Hey, it's Steve and welcome to Share, a podcast that sets out to do just that. From stories and reflections to ideas and concepts, each episode will dive into a wide range of topics and discussions that come from a journey through life. The simple fact I've discovered is when we share, we empower, not just ourselves, but each other. Are you planning your next holiday? Let the team at Mind and Body Travel inspire you. With a focus on wellness and well-being, the team at Mind and Body Travel can assist you whether you're looking to attend a retreat, test yourself on an adventure, tick off that bucket list trip, or just create a travel itinerary that includes all that you want in a holiday while taking into account all that your mind and body needs. Revolutionising the way people look at holidays and travel, they believe that travel should deliver nourishment for your soul, clarity for your mind, and renewed focus upon your return. So you ready to take off? Then it's time to check in with the team at Mind and Body Travel. Just visit www.mindandbodytravel.com. In this week's episode, we're talking all things health and fitness with one of the nicest ladies you'll find on the planet. One that's always got a smile on her face and lives with a contagious amount of energy. Growing up in the country, she's always had a big heart and passion for community and helping people. With a history and experience of various health challenges herself, including a couple of setbacks that tested her resilience and resolve, she's continued to research, to learn and expand her knowledge to be able to deliver the best service to her clients. Whether they're chasing elite levels of competition, just wanting to get fitter, or achieve that 5km PB at Parkrun. With an impressive level of accreditations from physio and sports nutritionist, to exercise scientist and strength and conditioning coach, she's also a proud mum of five and director of her own business, KS High Performance. If you've been looking to get inspired and motivated to work on your health and fitness, then this episode with Kate Stossel is full of tips, insights, and exceptional reflections that will help you get back on track and set you up as you head into 2024. Kate, welcome to Share. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm really, really good. How's your morning been? Yeah, not too bad. Busy. Yeah? Kids, clients, always busy. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. It's a good thing, yeah. Less laundry would be a better thing. (laughs) Yeah, haven't worked that out yet. No, no. Well, Kate, thanks for giving me some of your time in your very, very busy schedule. I wondered if you could start just by giving us a bit of a, an idea on your journey and your story today. Yep. So I have my own business, KS High Performance, working as a bit of a combination of things. So an exercise physiologist, strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist, and sports nutritionist. I kind of ended up here because I started studying physiotherapy probably 20 years ago. That was my original goal, wanted to be a physio. Then I was injured badly. So I spent pretty much 12 months in hospital, two back fusions and a host of other back operations, which pretty much made standing at a table in a physio room really difficult for me. I just could, I, the nerve pain and things made it difficult. So then I transitioned into doing exercise physiology, which was more of a hand, less hands-on. So guiding people with exercises and writing programs, but not having to provide the physical manipulation of, of bodies that physiotherapy requires. Yep. I've worked in South Africa. That was really interesting. I've worked for professional teams. I've worked for your average weekend athlete, people who want to go to the Olympics, people who have been to Worlds. So a really large range. I guess I am drawn to helping people. I'm a, I'm a helper. I kind of do try and juggle the athletes who are at that higher end with people who just want a sub-30 park run or want to lose 10 kilos because they're going to their son's formal and they want their photos to look nice. We've all got our stories. We've all got our whys and our reasons. So I think that's probably where I'm at now, five kids. Oldest is 12, youngest is six. 
So my own business does work well around that. I can still ferry them around everywhere they need to go. And I have wonderful clients who understand that I have five kids. That makes my life easy as well. Well, a lot of your clients are mums and dads as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So they completely understand if I have to rearrange something for a sick child or life happens to everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And as you know, I've been on my journey the last five years and I know you've shared some of your health challenges over time as well. And has that kind of spurred you on into the nutrition side of things? Yeah, definitely. Learning more? Yeah. So I was probably when I was maybe 17, 18, I'd say that that's when I started to have quite a few health issues. I do have a strong family history of autoimmune disease. So I was at uni, I ended up really unwell with glandular fever. And then that turned into chronic fatigue syndrome. Then I started experiencing a lot of neurological problems, you know, pins and needles and weakness, balance issues, things like that. And that was a really hard time because if you don't fit the mold of someone who looks like they should be sick, then people don't tend to investigate anymore. So that was kind of on and off through uni. The neurological stuff would come and go. Got married and then was pregnant with my first baby and everything escalated. And so I went back to the doctor. Neurological symptoms are still pins and needles, weakness, skin burning, neural pain burning, and got told you can't have anything wrong with you. You're pregnant. Your immune system's low when you're pregnant. So you don't have an immune disorder that attacks your immune system because your body will protect you because you're pregnant. So it's, there's nothing to worry about. Mm. And that's probably when I started to stand up for myself a little bit because it's probably three or four months of just going to doctors. I had one doctor, neurologist actually, sit in a room and just say, repeat after me, there is nothing wrong. I am a well girl. And I had to sit there and say that after repeating it after him. Just what you want to hear. Exactly. Yeah, just what you want to hear. I saw another neurologist who said, no, can't have anything wrong, pregnant. Had to go to a psychiatric hospital. They tried to check me in. And thankfully, I had a husband who was like, well, my wife's crazy because all wives are crazy, but she's not that crazy. He trusted that I knew what my body was doing. Mm. So I went to another neurologist and this was probably the fourth one. And I said, I'll just pay for the tests. Best case, there's nothing wrong with me. And you can all say, I told you so. Had the test done and came back positive for multiple sclerosis. Mm. That's when I really did start taking an interest in, I guess, my environment and my lifestyle and what I eat and how I manage stress, those kind of things. Because my advice once they gave me that diagnosis was just go home and wait for it to get worse and then come back. I don't even sit through a movie, so I'm not going to sit home and wait for new things to pop up. Uh, so that I can go and get further treatment. So I kind of took the proactive rather than the reactive approach to that, I would say. It's hard going through that journey of doctors because I've done it for years. And it was only until the start of this year where I finally got to a rheumatologist and he said to me, yeah, you've got chronic fatigue. Yes, that's right. And I actually had one of the neurologists was scribing to his, he had his little dictator phone thing, scribing to his receptionist. And he's sitting in front of me saying, Kate has so-called chronic fatigue syndrome. And I was like, by the end of all of these specialists, I started to think that I was crazy. I did. I started to to doubt that I had any idea what I was talking about and I lost all my confidence. And it is terrible when you have specialists telling you that you're wrong yep. because they're the specialists, right? You, you think that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They must be right and you must be crazy. So there is a lesson there, I think, in I guess listening to your body, standing up for yourself. And there are people out there. There are good people out there. Sometimes you just have to sift through people who aren't quite so helpful to get to them. Yeah. So through that journey, Kate, what have you learned in regards to supplements, medications? What's helped you? Yep. 
So I actually, I went overseas to America and saw a functional medicine doctor. I had a friend who was studying in that area at the time. So we went over together, I guess, connected with any autoimmune disease is an underlying generally chronic infections that might not always be tested for, but will show up in, in testing. So I had all of those, the genetic testing done, showed I had a couple of different infections that were low grade that didn't show up just on a standard blood test. So I had treatment for those. I had a full blood test for minerals and vitamins, which generally isn't done by your standard doctor. Like they'll test for iron, they'll test for the my zinc level came back lower. The doctor was 65 and said he'd never seen it lower in his life. And zinc is such a big factor in immunity and, and your DNA. So your cell replication and your cell recovery and things like that. So I started taking the supplements that were recommended. I changed my job. So because basically working for someone who I was working a lot of hours a week and there wasn't a lot of motivation. I'm someone who does like to feel appreciated rather than being paid well. Mm. So giving me extra money but still keeping me in a stressful situation wasn't the answer for me to enjoy my job. So I changed my job, which helped a lot, and my diet. I did some research into things that are inflammatory to the nervous system, cut those out, and it was hard. It was hard. And I've come out the other end where I've been really restrictive for a long time and my body has healed and I can add some of those things back in, which is good. And and it does help when I've got clients as, as well to kind of go, I can empathize. Like I understand that this is terrible. We all want to go out and eat cheese and wine at functions. Like we don't want to sit there and have the carrot sticks with the avocado dip and the glass of soda water because it's boring. But I had swallowing issues. I had neurological pain. I had leg weakness. I felt like I was walking through concrete all the time, like really heavy legs muscle jerks and twists uh, and twitches, which stopped me from sleeping. And through the process of changing diet and adding supplements, they did just gradually and and managing stress, they did just resolve. So I do get flare-ups, but also I put myself in positions like, I guess, events that are hard where I expect to have a flare-up, but for my mental health, it's I know that this is a temporary thing. I'm putting my body under stress and then I'll be okay afterwards. It gives me I think doing the things that I do, which are extreme to anyone, let alone someone with an autoimmune condition, are part of what gives me purpose and and direction, I guess, which everyone needs. Yeah. And you've really got to listen to your body, as you say. Yes. I know for me, through my journey, like at the moment, I'm still in that kind of thing of, okay, you need the exercise for your mental health. Yes. Because you can't just sit home and watch Netflix on the couch like doctors sometimes expect you to do. No. But it's interesting because when you look at fatigue, exercise or a level of exercise that suits you actually helps fatigue. Yes, absolutely. It's funny that sometimes on the days that I'm really tired and I don't feel like doing anything, just going out for a 30-minute easy jog, just it does. It wakes you up. And I think it's also that it's a mood enhancer as well, you know, out in the sun, vitamin D. It's very easy when you. most people with autoimmune diseases are type A personalities. That's what the research shows. It makes sense. And generally, autoimmune stuff is triggered by something in the environment. So you might have that the underlying genetic disposition to get it, but some people don't ever actually have it eventuate. But it's generally the type A's who, you know, you have that threshold. And so you might have food allergies and then you might have stress and then you might have chemical or environmental allergies and all of them build up and then they just trigger this expression of a gene gene that's sitting there. And that's what's so hard about autoimmune diseases because it's different for everyone. Yeah. What triggers it is so different for everyone. And I find that my body under mental stress, I I relapse much faster than physical stress. I can push myself a lot more physically than I can mentally. 
I find the same with mental. If I go under, I've got duress under mental. Yes conditions I'm like it drops me like a sack of potatoes balance it's and for me my symptoms are so obvious because they are sensory so pins and needles electric shocks those kind of things the minute I'm stressed it's almost like there's a switch that's just flicked and it's there it's boom it's there which is it's good it's a good indicator of okay well I know that that isn't actually good for me some things in life you can't avoid but you can manage things I think for the most part and choose where you're going to expend your energy I guess mentally yeah. It's hard with the doctor process because I know from right from the start, I was like, okay, I went and saw a Cairo who also did emotional neuro technique. And then he referred me to a naturopath. And then you come home with these 20 different supplements. Yes. And I get all the blood tests and I went and saw an alternative doctor. And a lot of the time they're like, oh, but you've got to pay for those tests. This is my health. I'm paying for the tests. Yes. Like, don't just give me the standard blood test. I want everything. I did all, a lot of testing and it was good because it helped me, okay, you're low in vitamin D and you're low in this and you're low in testosterone and, yes. you know, it gave me all these parameters, which is good because I had the gastric sleeve surgery as well because I knew I needed to lose the weight and I was struggling with that. So I did that. So my blood test now, the last time I went and got my blood test, They've just been improving and improving, improving. Yes. So it's great. You get these blood tests, but you don't feel great. You get these blood tests and they're like, oh, all good. And you get a scan for something. No, everything's good. And you're like, well, that's great. But I don't feel good still. That's exactly right. So you kind of do feel a little bit crazy. But when I came home from the rheumatologist and he said to me, you don't have fibromyalgia, but he said, you're on the, you're obviously not just sitting at home, can't move, can't get out of bed. And I'm, I'm very appreciative for that. Yes. But he says, you're on a spectrum of chronic fatigue somewhere there. And I came home and when I told my wife, Trace, Trace was pretty upset. And I said to her, and I was actually relieved because finally I'd had someone that had said- You had a diagnosis. That was the same when I had my uh, lumbar puncture and the the neurologist called and she's like, I didn't think it would be positive, but it's positive. And everyone was devastated. And I was like, finally, I've, I've been shipped around to doctors for six months telling me that all I have is anxiety and that none of this is true. And I've finally been told it's true. And now I can make a plan. Yeah, You've got a plan and you've got a reason. And I actually think that even just that alone, my stress dropped, knowing that there was a reason instead of constantly in my head going, everyone's telling me it's not. I'm seeing so many specialists and specialists know what they're doing. They've been they've been practicing for 40 years. So I must be crazy. Yeah. And and I think finally getting a diagnosis does provide a bit of mental relief, knowing that you weren't as crazy as you think that you were. Yeah. And it I completely agree because it's exactly how I felt when I got that. I was like a bit relieved. Okay, cool. I can move forward now because I know there's something there. Yep. Great. How do I manage my energy now? So for me now, like I've started cycle the last four or five weeks because I've got a, I used to love running, right? Yeah. Through the runners group and with Matt. And then I used to do half marathons and everything like that. And it would just take it out of me so much. Yes. I did try to go back and do some running with the with the morning group and I was like, this is taking it out of me. But anyway, about five weeks ago, I thought, oh, at Total Fusion at, at, at um, Lions there, I'm going to try the cycle class. So I tried the cycle class and I like it because you're sitting down supported and you can... Yeah, yeah it's, less in, it's, it's less impact. And I do that usually about three times a week now, um, have a rest day each other day. But last week I went and did, I did a first weight session for a while. Yesterday I was, oh. Yes. It hit me, so I'm like, okay, all right, let's pull back the weights. 
Because it's about pacing and everyone has their different tolerance levels for what they can do before they hit exhaustion. Pushing really is never the answer really. Even even my elite athletes who are a picture of health and 19 years old, there is a different load that each of them can manage. Yeah. Some people can train 20 hours a week without issues. Some can only train 12 because they just need that extra recovery. I think that everyone, nobody is the same. Nobody's the same. I think one of the key things for me is like last night, I know I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to 5.30 cycle in the morning. But then no, no, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Give it a rest. Whereas, because I've always been an all or nothing type of person, right? Runners group, some days I'd be up at 5am doing the 5am group. Then I'd be working till six, seven, eight o'clock at night, be doing stuff. Then I'd get a message from Matt saying, do you want to go for a run? Yes. And then you'd be running with Captain Midnight for an hour or two and Jared would be out there or Jen or anyone like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night owls. They don't ask me. don't even ask me anymore because I'm like, I'm asleep well before they even get out the door. Then four or five hours later, I was up again, 5am group and away I went. So I love the feeling of that feeling after exercise, right? Going, this is cool. Yeah. But now I really know mentally I've got to catch myself and go, what do I need tomorrow? And I also, I've got a whoop band now. So the whoop band's really good. It gives me all the biometrics around. It'll tell me, okay, you pushed it a little bit yesterday. You need to recover more today. Your sleep wasn't great. You need to kind of take a little bit more rest or you had great sleep. You had good rest yesterday. Yep, you're ready to go. You can push it to stress level of 15.1 or whatever it is. So that's been really good for me. Um, my son got me into one of those. So I found that's really been quite beneficial because it tells me like even, I don't know, probably five or six weeks ago, it came up and said, one of your health indicators is out. I clicked on it and it said my temperature, body temperature was higher. Anyway, then I got sick for a few days. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it's really interesting how it picks up on those things. Technology. But it does help me manage it. Yeah. And I tell this to all my athletes that your progress actually happens when you rest. That's when the progress happens. So doing the work creates the conditions for progress the progress can't happen if you don't don't rest because you need the energy to repair the muscle the micro muscle damage which makes you stronger and to build the capillaries that allow you to transport your blood and oxygen more effectively like if you don't rest your body is in constant stress and repair Mm. and you can't progress from stress and repair you progress once you start to build things not when you're constantly catching up on things. And that's one of the key things for me, utilizing the wellness facilities at Fusion because you got the infrared sauna, the dry sauna, the cryotherapy, um, the cold plunge, the the hot spa. So that's been really good for me because good for me mentally as well because it gives me 45 minutes to an hour of sitting out there. They've also got the Normatec, which has been really good as well from a leg recovery, especially since I've started cycle. So I'm just learning more and more. You know, it's probably a bit like your journey. You've just continued to research and learn and Yeah, that's it. Because there is. There's a and it's the same as I guess coaching athletes. There's a there's a box and there's probably 0.1% of the population that fit into the box. So if you approach anything, training, nutrition with just your standard, you need to lose weight, here's your calorie deficit, eat these foods, here's your piece of paper generally isn't going to work well or here's your run program that's going to get you running 5Ks in two months because everybody before they're an athlete is a person Yep. and people have their own environments, their own support networks, their own 
personalities which which come with your own levels of resilience like there is so much more to nutrition and exercise than just a formula that will spit out a result at the end because it it never does the way that it's supposed to yeah kate through your life have you always been sporty yeah i have yes i grew up rurally so i guess a lot of that is running around outside so i was born in inglewood which is probably three hours west of here, about 900 people in the town. So nearly everyone were sheep farmers. Moved to Gympie and went to school there and then moved to Brisbane at high school. Always just dabbled in a bit of everything. One of those kids that did swimming and then did hockey and then did gymnastics. Gymnastics, I kind of, I liked gymnastics, so I stuck with that. And netball. So gymnastics and netball were the two that I did at quite a high level until I hit probably 13 where I couldn't do them both. Like the hours for gymnastics was so long. So I continued with that until I fractured my back, which was when I had all of the surgery for it. And then that wiped me out for a long time. For about five years, I couldn't I couldn't do anything. I couldn't swim. I couldn't, just pain was limiting it. And then I started back swimming and from there kind of moved into ultra running, which I did probably for about 12 months before I realized my body doesn't really like ultra running very much. But it was a good challenge for my mind. I'm fairly stubborn. So it's good to, I was, it was good to see how much and how far I could push myself. Um, and now I do triathlons. So I really I love swimming, love swimming, enjoy running and tolerate riding. <laughs> Probably more than anything, riding is the one that I struggle with the most, but slowly getting better at it. So that five years that you struggled? Yes, you would have struggled mentally not being able to, oh, yes. to exercise and get into that fitness. Yeah, it is. And when it's something that you've always done and when it's something that's your stress, like exercise has always been my stress relief. And it's funny because you talk to people who wear exercise as a chore and we're all different. So for some people, their chill out is a movie on the couch and that is totally okay because we're all different. For me, being exhausted, going for a run is relaxing for me even if I'm exhausted. So not being able to do anything and not knowing where I was headed, I guess, as well. I remember a specialist saying often after failed back surgery, so I had one back operation, then I had a second that failed, then I had a third and they used some bone from my hip to try and fuse my lower spine. So I had a couple of sites that were sore. It can take. He said it, would, it can take up to 10 years for that cycle of, of inflammation and pain to reduce when you're 19. 10 years is a very long time. So, yeah, it was. It was really hard. And, like, looking back, I'm not even sure what I did during that time to keep myself motivated because it would have been very easy for me to just get through that period and have not done anything for so long so I'm not going to bother. But I think as well, obviously, my friendship circle were quite athletic as well, so you get dragged in. People are encouraging, come along and do stuff, which is great. I had friends saying, come along. Even if you can't do it all, do some of it. Or Mm. even if all you can do is sit at an aid station, come and sit at an aid station. So, And again, I was so fortunate to have that support network. There's people who don't, which is why I think we really can't judge how other people manage an experience. Even if it's a very similar experience, we all manage it differently based on what, I guess, support and environment we're in. Yeah. And that's great from your business perspective, right? Because you're coaching high-performance even everyday mums and dads and people that are just wanting to say under a sub 30 minute park run or whatever. But the good thing is, is you've gone through some struggles, some of the struggles that high performance athletes are going to encounter. Yeah, definitely. Probably two years ago, nearly, I was training for my first Ironman and I came off my bike. So kangaroo jumped in front of me, 
broke my leg in a couple of places, severe concussion. Someone found me and left me there. Once I, I can't remember any of it, but he, he just said the best thing to do is get back on your bike and left. So I was the crit track, thankfully. So eventually someone else came along and, and I, I was sending nonsense messages to people. So people were calling Adam, my husband, going, what, what's going on? We're getting these really weird messages. And it was obviously I was concussed. Mm. But that was really hard because I'd been planning to do this event with a friend for a couple of years and that wiped me out of doing anything. And I think it's really hard because when you're in the middle of it, people can say, at least you're alive, at least you can still walk. And you know what? That is 100% true, 100% true. But it's almost like saying the people in Africa would love the leftovers on your plate. Like it's not, it's not always in the thick of things natural to be optimistic about things. Mm. And so I think that has helped me with, with athletes and particularly my high-performing athletes because they do get injured. You can't, everyone gets injured. You can't avoid getting injured. But it has helped me be a little bit more compassionate towards how they're feeling whilst also saying, let's still make a plan. There's still a lot of things you can still do, but also not just brushing over the fact that they are frustrated and they are feeling depressed and they are feeling, because that's natural when it's natural to be injured or ill or underperform and take a bit of a mental health dive. So, and I think that that's something that that coaches should do. You should be addressing the mental health side. I'm not a sports psychologist and I refer people to sports psychologists, but I think being able to say, well, I felt like you did. So I was never going to the Olympics or, you know, I was never getting picked for a world team, but I understand how frustrating it is. And and so we can only look at what we can control. So let's look at that, but without diminishing how they're feeling at the time. Yeah. So you did a Cairns Ironman? I did the Cairns Ironman. Yes. Woohoo. Woohoo. I, I threw my bike at the people in transition and said, don't give it back to me ever again. Um, but no, so I did it in June. It was a great experience. Again, like everyone says, once you get to the end, you know, you're, you're three quarters of the way through thinking that this is the dumbest sport in the world and why am I doing this? And then you hit the end and you just, it's like it's all of the suffering is is worthwhile. So it was a great experience. And I think probably what I got out of it the most was, and I was quite stressed leading up to it. The kids all got influenza. It was when influenza was going around. So then I got it two weeks out. I was really unwell. I ended up on antibiotics for a chest infection while I was racing. I was still on them. But for me, it was the people that you're out on course with who really are, they just want the best for you as well. They don't know you. They have no idea who you are. But there were people who I was tag teaming with who every time I ran past would chat and that's it, don't let me catch you. And then when you they'd walk past you again, you were walking, don't walk, come on, we'll run together. It really is that everyone wants the best for everybody else. Obviously, the professional athletes are a little bit different. They're there to win. But for the most part, people know it's hard and people want you to succeed. And you work out that it's very much more a mental game than a physical game. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The number of times that you want to walk or, and all it takes is someone to go, come on, come along with me, or are you doing really well? Like there's just having, and, and, not, and from people who are also struggling, I think that's the key. Cause when, you know, you sometimes feel from people who are standing on the sideline going, you're doing so well. You feel like saying, I'm not doing well at all. Everything hurts and I feel like I'm going to vomit. But when it's people on course who are also struggling, it's almost that camaraderie of, I know how you're feeling, but you can do it. Let's do it together. And I think that's what I really enjoy about triathlon because there's people of all shapes and all sizes and all ages and we're all out there together in the same race at the same time. It's not like we're there and the, you know, the old people are going later. We're all racing at the same time. And I think that that's – I really enjoy just 
I guess, the human aspect of racing those events. So, yeah, Port Mac for me next year. It's my uh, Ironman comeback. Awesome. Yep. Something, something, it's a goal and, a, and a, I guess a long-term goal for me. Now, was it 2021? Were you the first female finisher for Triple T? Up at up north in Mackay, yes. So the first female to do the Moorimbah to Mackay, quite possibly the hardest thing I've done in my life. It was really hard. It was really hard, but I'm really, also really stubborn. By halfway through day three, and a couple of people say we just stayed near, away from you because you looked like you were going to die. <laughs> not and not not you know like that. Obviously, everything is there, safe. You've got medics and all, but I was just I was exhausted. I was exhausted. It was hot. And probably a big mental thing, and it's the same for my Ironman, when I do anything that's in the heat or when I exercise, all my neurological stuff does flare up. Mm. For me, there's that extra challenge of blocking out the fact that I have extra pain on top of just muscle pain. And I do have weak respiratory muscles, so by the end, they were starting to give out as well. So it was a lot of huffing and puffing and, and just hanging on really. Yep. But same thing, you finish and it does make all of that it's almost proving to yourself that you can do things that are really hard i think yeah i went up and volunteered i think 2018 2019 because that day three i feel for the runners that are still in the mix for the full yes. 250 kilometers and because that day three is very much you know you know what the meeting's like right yes. we've got to get these runners through to the end all the support so got all this support people going okay we've got to get you there and you're like yeah that's great I've got to get myself there as well. <laughs> and I think and that's if you kind of get to day three and everyone says no one stops on day three, but it's still another 60 kilometres. Like 60 kilometres is a long way even on its own. And I guess there's also that added pressure then of you've come this far, so you don't want to stop because yeah. you've gone through two days of really hard work, so you want to get through the third day. And it is something that you really do just need a lot of people around you helping you through. And the, the sleep deprivation and all those things. So my theory is that women have an advantage in endurance sports because we have babies <laughs> and we're so used to being up all night long. They've actually done some studies and proper research saying that in some aspects women are better at really ultra-endurance stuff compared to men. Obviously, physiologically, men do have an advantage in a lot of aspects, but I do joke with my female friends about how we're just so used to being tired and just getting on with it because we don't have a choice, which is not fair because there are plenty of males who do just as much with their kids. But it is the kind of running joke that if you've had kids, you're used to just getting up and doing stuff when you're tired. Every year, you're always credited. A lot of people credit you on, on social media and in their post-Triple T adventures saying, Kate got me through. What does that involve? I think me having done it is an advantage because I know the things that probably need to be the main focus, which helps. But I think, I mean, there's so much of getting somebody through an event. There's obviously there's the program writing as just the simple baseline, here's your program, and that entails putting you in positions that are simulating your event. And that's the same for any of my athletes who do any sport, team sport, individual sport. Your program needs to put you in the same conditions that you are your race is going to be. Mm. So it comes back to specificity. Is your training specific to the demands of your sport? And so that's getting people. So I, I programmed Jen who finished this year up there and it was saying to her, all right, I need you to go to bed with a full stomach and get up at two and start running. Or I want you to not eat during the day apart from snacks, then eat some dinner 
and go for a run. Just go for a run in the heat. Go for a run three times a day. Just trying to get all of the aspects of the event and train for those individually. Mm. And then I think a lot of it, and I think this with any of my coaches, it is it's the mental support really. It's the they're starting to doubt it. It gets closer. Everyone gets freaked out when an event gets closer. I do too. And so it's really going, okay, well, let's have a look at what you've done. These are the reasons why you don't need to panic. Mm. And it's natural to panic as well. And I think that's a big thing. Downplaying people, what people are feeling, I don't think ever really works well because you end up feeling silly Mm. for feeling the way you do. And no one should feel silly for being the way they are. So it is just that reassurance of what are your concerns? And okay, well, what can we do about addressing those concerns? What are things we can't control? Let's not waste energy worrying about them, which is easier said than done. You know, I'm terrible for it too, but it is something that everyone can practice. It's not, it's, it, you can practice not worrying about things that you can't control and bringing, reining yourself in when you start to spiral, all of those things. And, and I guess teaching them some cues on how to manage that as well. It's something that I've been always put a lot of pressure on myself and I still do, but I'm better at trying to stop those negative thoughts from spiraling too quickly mm. and again like I've, I've got a triathlon coach who's great and, and mentors me as well I think we just need somebody who when you're freaking out you can trust that has that can be reasonable because they're not in that panic mode that that you're currently in yeah so I think that probably yeah I think that there's a real big mix of programming someone correctly but also providing support as a coach rather than just here's an online program for you to follow yeah And it's also about from what I see of what Jen did in her training, because obviously she was very public in her stories and social media around how she's been training and she's been training for years and and done some great events. But one of the things I think is that mentally when you're in a 250 kilometer ultra marathon over two and a half days, you're going to have possibly sometimes some storms, some rain, some heat, some cold. Yep. I could see that Jem was preparing, obviously under your guidance. Yes. Whatever conditions, she wasn't mentally going to go, oh, it's starting to rain. I haven't trained in this. No. Like I know that when it was raining at times, she was out running. Yes. Or if she was running in the middle of the day when it was 30 odd degrees. So she was preparing herself that whatever was thrown at her, she could push through it and it wasn't going to mentally spiral her. No. And I think that that's the thing. It is, it's the physical preparation and advantage you get from training all the different aspects, but it's also the mental benefit of it happening there and going, it's okay. I've run in wind or I've run through creeks or I've run in the rain. It's, it's, yes, there's a physical benefit, but I almost think the mental benefit of training in all those conditions is even better. Yep. So much of endurance sport is your mind, so much of it. So, yeah, she was running up hills and then walking down them. She was walking up hills and running down them, just running on trails, running on road. Every aspect of Trail to Triumph that was a challenge she had in her training to replicate that. Yep. So, Kate, being a mum of five and keeping your health and fitness and energy and everything like that, how do you go with that? I don't know. I actually think it's it's Adam and I sometimes sit down at night and we're like, are we just going to be 70? We'll be sitting outside going, how did we do that? What happened to all of those years? Because it is, it's very much tag teaming. All right, I'll take Mm. this one to horse riding. You take that one to gymnastics or I'll drop her at gymnastics, but then I've got clients. So can you pick her up on the way home? It's, I mean, it's all, it's the same for all parents racing around. I think for me, training is really important for my mental health. And so I do find that I do make time for it. So even if I do have to get up a bit early or I go to the pool 
late at night or I find that that is actually beneficial. Whereas for some people that would be more exhausting and put you in a position to become ill and, and fatigued. I guess for me, it's more of a boost for me. My kids, my kids are really good. Uh, Adam's been defense for since pretty much since I married him. So we've always had very much of a structure of dad's away. And so we all pitch in and that, that's if we all pitch in, we can go and do fun stuff faster rather than me having to do all the work. So we do have a fairly structured life at home. We still have fun, but they are pretty good at, we get up and make our own, like my five-year-old, she'll make her own lunch still. They, they, they all do things to just help, which then means that I can do things with them that are fun that they enjoy, but also then have time for things that I enjoy as well. And I think part of me enjoying training means that they, well, I can do things that incorporate my training with them, which they enjoy as well. I'll go into the gym on my bike and, and they'll set up a little circuit or they'll print out, like the big girls will print out a workout, a kid's workout, and then teach it to the little kids. So they, I guess they're just modeling what they see that I'm doing. Probably the hardest thing, and it's, I don't, still don't have an answer, is time for Adam and I to ever sit down on our own together. That's really, it's rare that that happens because often by the time it's bedtime, I want to go to bed. He wants to go to bed. And so yeah, he's, he starts work on base at 5.30, so he's out the door by 5. So by the time both of us been running around all day, it is, it's hard to get that relax and re- relaxation time together. It's more just, all right, we're both just going to pass out together. Yep. But I am really fortunate because he is really, he knows that, that training and, and doing events is important to me for my mental health. Mm. So he's very supportive of that. Like I'm very fortunate to have somebody who says, go for your three hour ride. I'll look after the kids. I mean, they're his kids too. Yep. But, there's never a complaining from him about me doing my own thing. And, and I'm the same. He will often go out on weekends, do stuff with mates, and that's important for him as well. I think really I'm fortunate that I do have the support network that I have and I do try when I have with any of my clients, regardless of whether they're athletes or people who just want to lose weight, to factor their, their lifestyle in around how I approach it as well because not everyone is fortunate with having people who support them or having finances to support them we're all different and we we've all got different levels of resilience and coping and and all of those aspects as well come into it Mm. and you're having a business from home and moving into that space has obviously helped you have a little bit of freedom or structure your life around that as well yes that's it so i'll have i i try to have two weekend two afternoons a week where i don't don't work so that afternoons i can do things with the kids often it'll be after school or kids to sport and come and do some work and then get them. But I, I do try to keep two week afternoons a week where we can just play in the pool or uh, do their reading with them, things just so it's not so rushed at the end of the day. Yeah. And so that's really helpful, I guess, in managing a large family. And most of my clients, well, all of them really, they are really good. So if it's school holidays and I'm in the gym with somebody and someone sticks their head in saying, can we have something to eat or can we, all of them really are They'll say hello, they'll have a chat, but they don't flinch. Like they're just, we're going to Kate's, Kate's got kids. And I know I really feel like it's a privilege to be trusted by by people with their goals. I do really, I think, yes, they're paying me and yes, I have knowledge, but they could also pay anyone else who's got knowledge. I think if you have that relationship with your clients where they know you appreciate them and, and vice versa, then that's how I think my business general ethic is because it's not, work is so much of your life. Mm. To, to be miserable. So my clients slash athletes tend to be people who are on a similar, not, not necessarily lifestyle, but they have a similar view of things 
to me. And so we both gain from it. You know, most of my my athletes I learn from while they're learning as well. Yeah. Which is great. It's great to be motivated by the clients you're trying to motivate. Your journey through life, through health, through fitness. Yes. What's that changed in regards to your kids and, and what you do for them or how you're bringing them up? That's a good question. I was talking about this with someone the other day. I think that going through challenges in life, you know, people say it's a privilege to suffer because it makes you better at suffering. I don't think it's a privilege. I don't think anybody in the middle of a horrible time would say, I'm so privileged to be suffering because it's going to make me better at suffering. But I do think if you've suffered, you are better at suffering. Yep. And so I think having the challenges of, of health for such a long time, chronic fatigue and then the, the back issues, then the MS, and then bike crash, all of those things have shaped who I am with regards to resilience and, and perspective. And I'm a big, I'm really big on your reality, like your perspective is your reality. Mm. And so from an outside, it's easy to tell somebody you're really so lucky or you shouldn't be complaining or look what you can do because their reality is what they're seeing. But I also think we can reframe how we see things as well. And so there's a little bit of how can I change what I'm seeing so that I'm not seeing it in such a negative way. And I think for my kids, I've tried right from the start to always, again, not downplay how they're feeling, but try and go, this is really hard, but what kind of solutions can we look at to try and get ourselves through this? Athletes particularly don't like to fail, but failure is, failure is life. You're never going to go through life without failing. And people say you shouldn't use the word fail, but Failing is not getting a desired outcome and you can't always have a desired outcome. doesn't make you a failure. does mean that you've failed at whatever that goal is, you know, whether it's a time goal in a race or completing a race, all of those things. Not everyone can win. Not everyone can win, no. And I think that the test, the test isn't really can you get through life without failing. It's can you use that fail to shape what you're going to do in the future. So... It's not a test of I managed to get through that without failing. It's uh, I failed, but I failed forwards. And, and by failing forwards, it's looking at what you did and the outcome that you got and adapting that and looking at the experience and going, what can I change maybe next time so that when I'm put in that situation again, I'll try this instead. Mm. And so I think that that's, I mean, and, and that's a, there are people who will, who will fail at things. and. It kind of hardens them and they feel ashamed and they don't want to try again because of all those feelings. And I think that the test is really to go, well, yes, I acknowledge I failed and maybe I could have done this better. So next time I'll try and do that better. And so I think that's something that I really do try with my kids. Not everyone can win, but also if you haven't done as well as you've hoped, let's look at what you did and what can we change so that next time maybe you'll get a better outcome. And I think failure is part of success really. If you're never failing, you're not really trying anything big. You're not putting yourself outside your comfort zone if you're not failing at things. Yeah, well, they say you win or you learn. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Everything is an opportunity to learn from. And again, everyone's got different personalities. So some people do tend to, they will fail or, or lose and go, I'm going to use that. And next time I want to be better and faster. And some people will go, I... I'm hopeless. There's no point in me doing this because I'm not good at it. So there's personality in there as well, but I think we all have the opportunity to you to build mental resilience and 
I guess, reframe the way we think about things. And it's not easy. It's harder than things. I always tell my athletes, it's much harder to train your brain than it is to train your body. Yep. Because brains don't follow any rules. <laughs> and they're so dependent on so many factors, how you sleep, you, the people around you. Whereas most people won't say that they failed in an event because they didn't train hard enough. Most people train hard. Yeah. It's that all the other things as part of it. And how have you gone in regards to the nutrition for your kids? Have you tried to instill some good habits in them? It's that real kind of juggle, isn't it? Yes, it is. So I guess my kids are good eaters. So they are, and and probably because I've never forced it, but it's just what we've had in the house. And Mm. for my health, I do need to eat well. There's certain foods that will flare my MS up quite quickly. I've always been quite I guess clean eating so veggies and fruit and doesn't mean I don't have treats we all have treats but I do have to manage how much of it I have because I do notice that if I have too much I do start to get a bit more symptomatic which is just a sign of to pull kind of pull back on that and so they have always been I guess around somebody who eats a lot of veggies and fruit and they have their little lunch boxes out and they know you choose one bit of fruit they'll cut up one bit of salad so cucumber or cherry tomatoes they make a sandwich and then they can have a few treats as well so i'm i don't think that anything kids or adults should have a completely restricted you can't touch that diet and you see it all the time on people who have a cheat day so they'll be so strict during the week and then they cheat they'll have a cheat weekend but the cheat weekend actually ends up with their week having far more calories than if they just had a little bit of what they liked the whole the whole week. So yeah, my kids do eat well, but I don't restrict treats from them. I think one of the bigger issues too with kids who are active is that we live in this world where you shouldn't have sugar and you shouldn't have carbs and kids actually need sugar and need carbs Mm. because not only are they active, but they're also growing. Restricting food to make them better, healthier youth athletes is never going to work. You're just going to end up with kids who are sick and injured. I guess they're fortunate that I've always eaten well and that I have reason to eat well. There's always motivation to eat well if you know that if you don't eat well, you're going to be unwell. Yep. And so they do. They've kind of just fallen into that. And I also say I'm not a short order cook and there's seven of us in the house, so I'm not cooking anything else. So you eat what you're given. Um, and they're pretty good at that. You know, we all we all have things we don't like, so I, they're all allowed to have things they don't, don't like particularly. But as a general rule, this is what we're having. It's hard as well with my fatigue. I've started to work out, okay, well, I'm managing my energy, but what makes me feel good? Kind of keeping a bit of a diary, mental diary of what makes me feel good. Okay, I had some alcohol. So I'm two or three weeks, no alcohol now. I've been to a few events. We went to an event on the weekend and no, I'll drive. I'm not drinking. And I actually feel so much better not drinking. Yeah. And I encourage people and I don't force them because having journals and diaries can be a pain. Mm. But particularly with my athletes, I encourage them after events, while they can still remember, what went wrong? Like what did you have in the lead up to feeling nauseous? Or what did you enjoy eating? What did you feel like worked for you? Because a week later, you can't remember what you had in the lead up Mm. to where your gut went bad. Or like I see photos at Child of Triumph of myself. And I can't even remember being there. That whole area is not a part because I'm you're so deep into your mental, I guess, your suffering and your your mental drive that you don't you're not thinking about the little details at all. And so I, I encourage everyone, and I do have some clients with autoimmune diseases as well. If you can for three days, don't just write down what you've eaten. Write down how it makes you feel. Mm. If you've had bread 
and you feel sluggish afterwards, it's kind of a good sign that maybe bread can be limited, not cut out, but limited. And it's practice. It's practice learning how your body reacts to stuff as well because sometimes we don't really realize until we have to sit down and think about it. Yeah. No, that's good. That's some, some good tips and some good reflections there for people to think about as well. What does success mean to you? I knew you were going to ask me this. I think that success is doing absolutely everything you can with regards to what is important to you. That could be sport, that could be relationships. There are so many that could be career. But I think if you are managing your life and aiming towards in the direction of what you find important, then that that is a successful life. I don't think that it's it's almost with racing, it's the training and the progress towards race day that really is where you'll see the success. Like the race day is just one race day. Mm. For me, a successful life is being able to identify what's important to you and and to constantly work on achieving what you you feel is important. And we're we're all humans. We all fail. You know, I say things all the time that I wish I hadn't or I approach things and I think next time maybe I would have approached that differently. But I think success is being able to have a look at what you've done in the past and juxtapose that against where you'd like to be in the future and be able to alter the way you approach things. And I think that's a big thing, being able to go, maybe I wasn't right or maybe I could have done that better. I think that that's really, I really admire people who can say, I was wrong and this is what I'm going to do next time. Because winning a race doesn't mean you've got a successful life. It means you've won a race mm-hmm. and you've won one race and, and you might have a medal that sits in your cupboard or on your wall. Yep. But I don't think that that's a real reflection of I'm very big on who people are as people before they are athletes or anything else. And so success for me isn't medals or money or career status. It's, it's more being able to look at your life and reflect on how you could make it better to impact yourself and how you can make it better to impact others as well. Yeah. I ask that question because everyone's view on success is different, but because we look at so many people in life and people look at us sometimes and go, oh, you're so successful, right? Yeah. And sometimes things behind you at the time can be absolutely crumbling. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And we all put on a show. We all walk out the door with a smile on our face and pretend that our lives are perfect. And I think that's the downfall of social media, Strava. Hmm. Strava is a bad one for comparison. I think anyone who who is a high-performing athlete and puts excess pressure on themselves needs to just get off Strava yep. because it's just a platform to compare and then panic. Mm. It doesn't have to be envy of somebody else. I wish I was like them. It's more why aren't I doing what they're doing or why aren't I as fast as them or there's social media, there's so many platforms now where we can attack each other and compare with each other and or just show the rose-colored glasses version of ourselves. Yeah. I remember back when I was running, I didn't get caught up in the Strava whole segment thing, but it was funny when you'd be running with someone and then they'd just take off and you'd go, what are you doing? It's my segment. I've got, I've got to get king of the mountain. Yeah, I've got to keep the segment. Yeah. There's always, there's always going to be someone who's going to beat your segment. Always. And there's always going to be someone who you might be the best, but you're starting to get older. And so there's more people moving through the ranks. You're never going to be on top. And that's why I don't think success is money or event outcomes or team selections because they're such a small portion of your entire life. Yeah. They might be success in that moment. You've won a race. So that is success in that moment, but it's not really success in life. It's just success in that one race. 
Yeah. My wife always talks about, everyone says, oh, you got to be happy. And my wife always says that happiness is fleeting moments. Yes. You're not always happy. And same with success. Yep. Same with success. Same with motivation. I always have people say, how do you stay motivated? I'm like, well, I don't, but I stay disciplined. Knowing that motivation will come and motivation will go. There's times where I can't wait to train and there's times where I look at my program and think, oh, how am I going to get myself to the pool today because I just can't be bothered. Yep. And so it's just, it's really hard to not jump way ahead in the future as well, I think, when things aren't mm. going your way to go, well, I've had really terrible training the last two weeks. I'm not as fast or my watts aren't the same or my pace isn't the same. So I'm going to fail at my event that's in seven months' time. And it's a real art to be able to go, that was just today. Tomorrow's a different day and tomorrow's a different day. And and that's what the professional athletes do. They will go, today's session was really dodgy. I didn't, didn't feel good. I was flat. I didn't hit the paces that my coach had put on my intervals. But then they go, tomorrow, what's my program say? And they've forgotten about what they did yesterday. They're focusing on they're focusing on the process of getting to their race. Mm. Not they're not focusing on the race. They're just focusing on the process. And I think as a as a general rule, most of us will look at a bad training session and go, there's no way I'm going to get through my race if I can't do this now, when you've got seven more months till your race. And so Mm. if you can't do a 20K run now and you want to do a marathon in seven months, don't freak out that your 20K training run didn't end up successful. You've still got seven more months to train, but it is really natural to panic when you have a bad training session or you get ill to jump way ahead. That little voice in the back of your head that says, maybe you can't do this. That's exactly right, yeah. And I think that that's where, and back to TTT and, and Jen and my athletes, it's very much when they have those doubts, let's have a meeting. What are you worried about? What can we do? How can we manage the panic? What, what will make you feel more confident? Because I'm happy to try and work into your training what would make you more confident. Do you want longer runs? or? And obviously it's managing that around my knowledge of fatigue and recovery and all of those things. But there's two people involved in planning a program. I can't just tell you a program if I, I don't know how you're feeling and what your life circumstances are. And so I do check in multiple times a week with my athletes and I do check in at the start of each week, what's going on before I write your program, what do I need to work around. Things are big that are on. I'll give you a couple of days that are really low load. I don't think that there's a formula that works for anybody. I think it's something that's just constantly evolving. Yeah, no, that's good. In your life, who's been your greatest teacher? I would say my dad. Yep. Um, I think he, and I think he's just everything that I value in in people. And we all have things that we value in people and traits that we value. Hmm. And I think it's hard. We don't have to be everyone's cup of tea, and they don't have to be our cup of tea. You know, I don't think you ever need to be nasty or unkind to anybody. Hmm. But obviously, there's traits in people that you're drawn to more so than others. And I think dad's. He's very gracious. He will stick up for the underdog every time. He's he's not reactive, so he will say, "Hang on, let's let's maybe sit down and have a look at what's going on here," rather than just reacting straight away. He's patient and he's kind, and I think all of those things I really value and try to implement myself. And he's also, I guess, he was the one who. When I was at uni and up at 2am studying, he would get up just so I had company, sit there, cup of tea, read a book while I was sitting there studying so that I had someone who else was awake at 2 o'clock in the morning feeling miserable about being awake at 2 o'clock in the morning. But I think he's like if I look at the impact he has on other people, 
He he has done things like paid for people who are out of drug re- rehabs rent, dropped off furniture for them, and said, "Here's a couple of months rent because it's easy to spiral when you you know you when you're back out in the community." Or he's the person that will find somebody in the workplace who's struggling and just gently, gently probe without being forceful and saying, do you want to go out for lunch or, Hmm. you know, do you want to have a chat? I think that that's a really good value in dad. He's never in your face. And he, I mean, he's wise, but he's, and he's also humble. Like he would never tell you any of these things. He would never tell you anything that he does that helps other people. But I think actually I went over the other day I had the kids with me and we made a, a slip and slide. He was, we rocked up and dad's like, I'm going to Bunnings. He came back with a tarp. We made slip and slide and he was on it with the kids. <laughs> and I put a photo up or a video up on Facebook and someone said, I've never met Big Mal. That's what my kids call him, Big Mal, because he's six foot two. And I've never met Big Mal, but he just seems to be someone that Big Mal, uh, everyone should have a Big Mal in their life. And that's what I think with dad. Everyone should have a, everyone should have a Big Mal in their life because he is so gracious. And really is that person like he and he says to me, which is what I try to emulate, is that people need to feel like they're worth your time. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing that dad has taught me is that people want to feel like they're worth your time. If you can make somebody feel like they are worth your time, then that's a really great thing to do. And everybody needs one person. Lots of people have many, but some people have nobody. And if you can just find those people and make them feel like they are worth something and that they are worth your time. And that's something that I've always really I tried to carry through. And, and particularly people who've had hard lives who might not be the nicest to be around, but they've also been nasty in return. And it's something that I've we've kind of tried to teach the kids as well, that most of the time people who are nasty are just sad people with sad lives. And you don't have to be their best friend, but you can just show them a bit of kindness and that they're still worth something. Yep. And quite often once you've done that, they become nice people to you. Mm. There's a lot of lonely people out there or struggling people out there who just need to know that somebody thinks that they're worth something. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Kate, if you could take young Kate for a jog yes, and you wanted to instill a few things or some advice to her around the, the life she's heading into, what would that be? That's a really good question. I think probably couple of things one of them one of them was that it would just be to don't put so much pressure on yourself because I've always been someone who puts a lot of pressure on myself across everything academics sport relationships everything I think that probably I I wish that I had enjoyed being younger while I could enjoy being younger because you don't get that time back and so I think that's probably probably one of the things and I think now in hindsight I don't pressure my kids a lot because of that and it is that balance between I still expect you to put in effort, but I don't really mind what the outcome is. Yep. And that's hard. Like that's that's hard when you are someone who's typically a high performer, I guess, as whatever that means, but someone who does put a lot of pressure and has high expectations on themselves. I am getting better at, at going, if, it, if it's not fun, why are you doing it? Mm. If it's not something that gives you joy, why are you doing it? And I don't think that you can get that perspective until you get older which is unfortunate. We always laugh, not laugh, but I guess you look at your kids and they've got these problems that are really so small, but they're not small to them because it's all they know and you can't know. It doesn't matter how much we tell them it's not a big problem. And so I wish I could have, I wish I could have said it doesn't actually matter whether you get A's. It doesn't actually matter whether you get selected for the team. It doesn't matter if you're 
friends think that you're cool or not. All of those things that are, I think everybody would think that if you had to talk to yourself when you were younger. Stop worrying about all those little things. Stop worrying about what other people think is probably the biggest thing for me. And still a challenge is to be who you are, be well-intentioned, and if people don't like you, that's okay because I don't like people either. You know, we've all got people. (laughs) We all have people. The people who are close to you are the ones that matter what they think. I love that quote that says, you're trying to get everyone to like you, but you don't even like everyone. Yes, that's exactly right. And it doesn't even have that. And it's not this intense dislike of people. It's more just that, you know, you're, you're not someone I'd like to invest a lot of time in. I'll still be polite. But I think that that's probably, I do. I do wish, I wish I had stood up for myself more in a lot of situations as well, rather than, mm. I guess, going, this is what people want me to do. So I'll do it because I'm a people pleaser. I wish I had had not done some of the things that I kind of was was really strongly encouraged to do that I didn't want to do. Mm. But all of those things then shape you as an older person as well. So like I am not old, but I am better now at going, I actually just don't want to do that. There's nothing of that experience that I don't think I'm going to get out of it. And that doesn't mean you should do only things that you want because I think supporting other people is really important and training with other people if they need help or lending a hand if someone's struggling. There's so many different ways you can support people, but I think that you still have to do things for yourself as well. Otherwise, you just get worn down. Yeah. Kate, for anyone that wants to connect with you, yes, what's the best way to connect with you and get in touch? Instagram and Facebook. I, I did have a website, but it wasn't something that people were, tends to be social media is what runs the world these days. Um, so I am KS High Performance on social media, so both Facebook yep. and Instagram. And then on that is my email address as well, which is kshighperformance at gmail.com. My phone number is on there as well. So pretty much any of those avenues. I, get, I do get a lot of people just from word of mouth, chatting to people or knowing people in the area. So any of those avenues, and I don't expect to convert everyone that connects with me either as a client. It's Sometimes it's nice to just chat, help people out where you can. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think through your knowledge and experience, I think there's a lot you can offer. You are offering a lot of people. I know when we caught up a little while ago, one of the things, and it sticks with me today, is I said to you about diet and you said, I hate the word diet. I hate the word diet. Yep. Because you said a diet means restriction. And you said to me, I actually relate it to everything in life now is that if you want to put an eating plan in, is that something that you can do for the rest of your life? Yes. Yep. Right? Because if you're doing something that's just for three months or six months, it's just not going to work. No, no. And your results, you'll end up going backwards in the results that you are having. And I think that that's one thing as well. Goal importance is something that's big for me with all my clients is everyone's got how important their goal is. So your goal might be to go to the Olympics as a runner, or your goal might be to do a fast park run or to lose 5Ks or to in to get your body fat down to 3% for a bodybuilding competition. It's my goal to make sure all of your goals are seen as just as important to me. Mm. And so I think that that's, it's, it's easy to see the elite athlete as having goals that are bigger and more important, but it's my goal to make sure that those people get the exact same amount of tension as the ones who have never gone running before. And they're, they're wanting a couch to 5K. And again, that comes back to success, doesn't it? That success doesn't have to be medals and money and prestige. It's choosing something that's important for you and then working towards it. I think that that is probably one of the biggest things that I try to do is to make sure that there's no different treatment between my lead athletes and my everyday athletes. 
Well, I'm extremely grateful for your time today and all your insights and all your reflections. Thank you for having me. I hate public speaking, so this is a nice way. I don't like public speaking, but the episode's been fantastic. And as I said, your reflections and your insights in that chat, it was phenomenal. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. It's been great to have you along for the ride. Remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Maybe just one person you think could benefit from what was just shared. Also, if you haven't connected with me yet, you can find me on Instagram at the Steve Hodgson and also share underscore underscore podcast. I'll catch you on the next episode.